3: Hey Geekscapist, welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. I'm Jonathan London and each week I like to sit down with storytellers and talk to them about why they tell stories. Usually that's pop culture. It's movies, video games, comic books, TV. Uh, this episode you're about to listen to is a special episode. I recorded at the LA Comic Con uh, two weekends ago. I was asked by my good friend Sheldon Price to host a few panels and this one is the return of fantasy storytelling. I loved this panel. I was fascinated by the idea that over the last 20 years, we've really had this rise in fantasy storytelling. Whether it's Lord of the Rings or Dungeons & Dragons or Game of Thrones, I'm pretty sure we're all pretty aware that fantasy is back. Um, So I put together this panel. The specialists and the experts on the panel were awesome. Uh, I think you're going to hear it. You're going to enjoy it. And don't worry, Geekscapers. I've got new one-on-one Geekscape... Uh, conversations coming up I've scheduled them with a good friend George Thank you for scheduling those with me So in November we're going to be recording some awesome Episodes for you But sit back, listen to the return Of fantasy storytelling uh, Panel and if you Do like this show, go to your podcatcher That you're listening to this on right now Leave us five stars That really helps us write a review That really helps our visibility And that means more geekscape Hit that share button Tell your friends all about the show. And thank you, thank you, thank you. Over and out. Hi, uh, I'm Jonathan London from Geekscape. Geekscape's my podcast. I've been doing it for over 13 years, I think. And uh, I think I know that. Over 13 years, (laughs) I've been doing a a podcast called Geekscape. And I like doing panels here at LA Comic-Con. So thank you guys for sitting on ours. This is the return of fantasy. Uh, The idea behind this panel is that as somebody who's 40 years old, fantasy wasn't always as popular as it is now. Whether it's tabletop RPGs or now we have things like Game of Thrones and obviously they're going to start out with a, they're going uh, I think Amazon's doing a brand new Lord of the Rings series so uh, Tolkien has always been popular to people like me but it hasn't always been popular on a scale of this size. And whether it's the technology or uh, different things happening in culture I wanted to put together a panel, list of, uh, a panel of experts so that I could be Just ask them, what is the deal with the stuff I used to get beat up for being super popular now? (laughs) Does it seem fair? No, it doesn't seem that fair that I used to take hits for this stuff, for being into this stuff when I was a kid. And now everybody's into it. It's totally fine. But you know what? (laughs) I choose to look at it as a huge celebration. And there are kids out there who were in the position I was in, and I'm glad that they're able to celebrate this stuff and be celebrated for being into this stuff. It's super positive. I'm excited uh, to talk to you guys and have friends that I wish I would have had when I was 12 <laughs> and get to know you guys. Um, so this is the Return of Fantasy podcast, um, and I'm going to introduce my panelists. I'm not reading my Facebook or Twitter. I put my notes on my phone, okay? <laughs> so bear with me, and, um, and I'll just go down the line. Um, to my right is Mac Bouvet. Uh, she is an avid nerd, uh, especially she's a big horror person. Uh, she is a TTRPG GM player. She's a tarot reader. Uh, and she's pretty much just a general weirdo, which is amazing. <laughs> uh, and her day job is producing product for Crypt TV. So if you guys enjoy Crypt TV, you have Mac to thank for a lot of that <laughs> stuff. Okay? Uh, to her right is a good friend of mine, Christoph Vichler. Uh He runs Cantrip Candles, which is super interesting. He makes like D&D-themed <laughs> candles that when you get together with your friends to play, you can light a little candle. And suddenly it smells like you're in a tavern or an elven wood. It's the coolest idea for candles. And if you're not convinced, talk to Christoph after the, uh, after the uh, panel. I think maybe you're on the floor. You have a yeah. presence on the floor, Christoph? Yeah,
4: 1612.
3: Go down there and make a ruckus. By the by, everybody freaking out and being like, "There's people just going and like huffing candles on the floor." <laughs> go ahead and go down there. Uh, Christoph's candles are amazing, and so obviously he's a big tabletop gamer and D and D fan because he's basing his business in it. Um, to his right we have Josephine McAdam. She's an actor in projects such as Tower, L.A. by Night, Scare Package, The Mortuary Collection, tons of other stuff. And she's been playing D&D since the age of six. I was illiterate still at that age, so that's pretty amazing. And her dad was her DM. uh, She and her brother used to play growing up, so that's a pretty awesome household. I wish you could still adopt me. (laughs) That sounds great. Um, And to her right is the awesome Alexander Ward. He's also an actor, Specializes in playing monsters, uh, creatures, other inhuman uh, uh, characters, so he knows a thing or two about some of the things that lurk in the dungeons. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and open it up to you guys. Um, Thanks, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) What a monster. I told you he's a monster. He's having people go and get him coffee. (laughs) So uh, right off the bat, um, I think we talked about it a little, uh, and definitely I mentioned in the intro, it seems uh, to me that this has been an upswell Uh, of fantasy uh, celebration for the last 20 years uh, I'm a huge Tolkien fan like The Hobbit's most important book in my life and for me I always attribute the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies being on the big screen Mm. successfully Mm. as being the beginning of that that turn but obviously uh, being a little too old for the Harry Potter books at the time a lot of people also attribute it to Harry Potter, uh, or maybe going back even further in the 90s, things like Xena and Hercules were on television, putting, our modern, uh, putting myths on TV for people. So where would you attribute the beginnings of where we are now in this most recent uh, rise of fantasy celebration? It could open to anybody.
5: Well, I think one of the the most recent things really has been Game of Thrones. That's become one of like I mean everybody has seen it. It's just one of those things that's out there for everybody to consume. But I think all of these upswells have been happening for a long time, and it's just really been building throughout uh the past many decades of time and i think one of the things people are realizing that we always knew growing up and being into these things is it's about experience and people are really into having experiences right now there's a lot of things uh economically that are not great so people when they are spending their money they're trying to spend it on experiences (laughs) and i feel like that's where we're seeing a lot of it and we've always been doing that because we were spending it on games and Things like that.
3: But I argue that these aren't escapes because I, uh, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday about Star Wars making a jillion dollars in 1977 and the fact that people, you know, we had an oil crisis and hostages in Iran at the time and we were coming out of Nixon and, and uh, Vietnam. But uh, I don't see fantasy or science fiction or any of the pop culture as an escape. I see it as a prism or some form of catharsis. right Right, um is are we going are are we trying to experience a catharsis is this not escape but release for us
6: i think to a certain extent uh fantasy and sci-fi can uh put problems that we deal with in everyday life into a more digestible format into something that we that's not as confusing as like our own current politics or anything like that we can look at a situation that has the same themes that are going on in our live right lives right now and go oh I understand it in this distilled format and allows us to, in an enjoyable way, kind of be like, okay, that gives us that catharsis. That thing was defeated, that the the evil had been taken care of, all these things that we deal with in our lives, in a more boiled-down distilled format can be dealt with and expressed. Mm-hmm. And it kind of gives us a release and relief in our day-to-day lives.
1: Yeah, I think it's also, I mean, I think it can be both. Some, I think, could still arguably be escapes for some people, and it's an individualized response right what it is for one person isn't what it's necessarily going to serve for someone else um i feel that you know growing up it what it was an escape it's just um a world that you can go to where you can make up everything you wanted to be and like you can drive your own story mm-hmm. which i think you don't necessarily have at least in the tabletop format talking about media i mean again i think it's individual i, I think there are some that that people go to because it's that catharsis for something, an issue that's actually happening, or it can just be an escape for them.
3: Well, Mac, you work for a horror channel, and uh, in the in the 90s, could a horror channel have existed? And what I'm getting to is the fact that today we have such a stratification in our media that things feel like they're targeted directly at us and our interests. So the, this, this appeal to the, to the different niches Allow people to say, "Oh, I'm finally being celebrated. I can come out of uh I guess hiding even you right. know I mean yeah. remember what the comic book stores used to look like in the nineties They yeah. had the posters they were cover they covering the the windows mm-hmm. you'd go in there, they almost looked like exclusive clubs. Right. Now this stuff is celebrated on the big screen it's only It seems only right that fantasy is then following in step. <sighs> Matt, could something like Crypt TV or these different niche Outlets have existed before things like technology or culture or the stratification of media existed. Is that so? maybe a reason for some of this? I mean, this dude makes candles <laughs> about D&D. Like, could that have existed 10 years ago even?
5: I think it could have existed. It probably would have been in a different format. Mm-hmm. And it would have been... Reaching out to people uh, in a smaller way. I mean, the technology has really opened things up so that everybody is connected in a way that we weren't before. But these niche things, uh, they've existed. They've been around for a very long time. It's just the matter that they are more accessible than they ever were. And so it's bringing these groups together. Like you were talking about, you know, being in school and being beat up and not feeling like you had a network, but if you had had what a lot of other people have now growing up with the technology and the ability to reach out to these other niche groups, mm. which have become a bigger group and a, a bigger part of the mainstream because of it, um, I think that's really what we're looking at here. But it's it's not that the niches didn't exist to begin with. I, I also- still
3: had an ElfQuest shirt when I was a kid, <laughs> and I have one again now, but there was a period where I didn't. I also think it's a lot about um,
4: exposure, as with everything. Like, you're, you're not ever going to learn about something until you're exposed to it. You don't mm-hmm. become comfortable with something until you're exposed to it. And when you're talking about Lord of the Rings and how that could have been a trigger for some to get into the world of fantasy, I think about how every year my dad would always be like, we're all going to the movie theater on Christmas, and all the Lord of the Rings movies came out yeah, around I that Christmas time, December 18 or something mm-hmm. like that. My birthday, guys, just so you know. <laughs> right and, um, I remember being like, why does my dad want to see Lord of the Rings? But he would sit there and he'd fall asleep at some points, but that was his exposure to it. And so I think about like the media taking leaps to purchase into those niches because they're realizing, oh, people who like X-Men will spend millions of dollars on X-Men products. Like, realizing there's a quantifiable profit to this, whether that's a good or bad thing, whether that's the right reason to grow fantasy – I don't care. It allows me to make a business, but I think exposure is huge. And and going back to the whole Dungeons and Dragons candles thing, that only my parents are still like. What, so what do you do? And I'm like it's Dungeons and Dragons. But it's all about exposure. Like you just have to tell them
3: about it continually,
4: right. and that's how you grow the the, the world. Essentially, and
3: I think you were going to say something, Alex. But I, I think just to finish or add to what Christoph is saying is we. The technology is we had in 2001 these amazing Lord of the Rings films. We had Ralph Bakshi when I was a kid, and we got one Hobbit movie and I think two Lord of the Rings movies, and and it had to be animated. If you were going to put that kind of fantasy on TV, we had Fire and Ice. We had the Ralph Bakshi movies. Those were our our fantasy, or you had the Ray Harryhausen stuff. But some form of animation had to transport you there, and Mm -hmm. now the Internet will expose you to these things, and you can actually believe them because of the technology. And there's multi billion-dollar budgets behind Multi-billion-dollar budgets. Alex, what were well, you going to add I was going to say,
6: also, I think part of this is generational. Generational. The people who were into these things as kids are now the ones having kids and the adults mm. in the world, and therefore, the interests have shifted. And originally, it was in the, you know, it was it was big in the 80s. It was, it as far as, you know, kids, you know, D&D, fantasy, video games, all these things started, and they... Were a small thing that everybody was like, what? That's a waste of time.
3: Yeah. Or you had to go to the arcade. Or you had to go to, to, go to the arcade. To you enjoy had to do it. Whatever.
6: You had to escape from what was considered appropriate life to go do these things. Right. And then now those kids are now the adults. Mm-hmm. In and the they want to do that stuff and all the time. And they want to do that thing all yeah. the time. And so now it's like, well, just have it out there. Uh-huh. Everybody wants to do this. And then also, as a child growing up under parents who were into these things more, uh, so what I'm looking for? Uh, more more prevalent in these adults than it was in the past. The kids are then possibly exposed to it more and more interested in it. and then with the addition of the internet and things like that, it's just all out there, and they can find everything they need. And I think also part of the interest in fantasy is probably attributed a lot to things like, World of Warcraft as a video game, mm-hmm. going in and kids living in this world and playing, being kids starting in this fantasy world and have been playing it for 10 years, 10, 12 years, however long that game's been out. Right. But games like that have also contributed to this level of fantasy and this uh, resurgence of it.
3: Yeah, um, I had Richard Garfield on GeekScape a few weeks ago, and he was talking about making Magic the Gathering and how it took him a long time to convince... Uh, the publisher to uh, Wizards of the Coast to put out Magic the Gathering and uh, I mean he had the design and the, he's a mathematician so he had all the math worked out for years before finally in 92 93 94 they started that he convinced them to publish the card deck, and then right. it was wildfire. Right. To the point where, as we were saying earlier, it Madden. saved TSR. Yeah, um, we'll it's this. Is this a perfect storm com- uh, sort of event that we're living in right now? Where it's a. <laughs> it's the internet. It's gaming uh, conditioning people. Mm-hmm. It's social gaming. Conditioning people, it's the technology. It's uh, a, a bit of political or real world fatigue, mm-hmm. uh, war on terror, driving bit. us into just other things. Bit. What's that? Just a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> just a bit. Are we, I mean, is just this the perfect storm? I, it. It. I think
6: possibly, but I. Know, I mean, speaking with tabletop tabletop RPGs specifically, the rise in how popular those are within the last couple of years mm-hmm. has been just absolutely mind blowing. It's. Uh, I, but I think it's possibly. It's partially due to the fact that people are so possibly getting to the point of being fatigued with so much of visual media, video games, things like that, that they want a more personal experience. And so sitting down at a table with friends and all sitting there and looking at each other in the eye and playing a game with each other has become far more popular than it has been even in the last 10 years within the last 3 or 4 years
4: people would rather tell their own story than someone else's story that's not done well or taking a story that they love aka Avatar and turning it into something terrible (laughs) So (laughs) people would rather
6: hold what they love preciously and play it in their own and I'm sure if any of you have played tabletop RPGs you know that the people you play with generally become some of your best friends and you end up hanging out with them more than you hang out with anybody else. That's all you want to do. We talk about our game together all the fucking time. <laughs> all the time. Yep. Like We'll just be like, yeah, so we're doing... No, but I want to talk about this. <laughs> what do you think this person's doing? Uh,
1: I also think it's relative. I mean, I wonder all the time, is it just because I'm surrounded by the circles of people that like the same things? Because I will go to work. I will go on set, and I'm... I'm still greeted with the same puzzled looks of like, what Dean what are you doing? Same. I'm sorry? Like like all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, even the people creating this media, which I think would surprise a lot of people that have no idea what they're feeding into and like this huge culture that it is. And you know, I grew up with Lord of the Rings and all of that and I didn't get people to play D and D with me until I was I for my 18th birthday I asked all of my friends to come and play D&D that was like my birthday wish Mm -hmm. I got them to sit down and and we all played and uh, it was a lot of fun but we still didn't they didn't play after that it was still like it took a a few years after that yes it took a few years after that until now now they're totally down to play D&D everyone's into it Um, but I feel like Honestly shows like critical role mm-hmm. added mm. so much because I was able to then ask people like, "Well, have you heard of critical role? and they and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, no, isn't that, you know, and then I would go from there and like try to like, yeah, it's actually really fun. We could do that. And right. here, let me show you how. Well, and
6: speaking DD specifically, I think it's also much more of an ex- uh, accessible game than it used to be with the 5th edition rules as the way they are now because the game used to be so much math related and so much like, I don't want to do any of this <laughs> just to fight a dragon.
0: And, <laughs> and, and
6: now it's there. much more free form and much more able to be like, no, I just want to tell this story and mm-hmm. that's the most important. So thing.
3: Josephine's friends who were like, how long is this going to take yeah it's not a day right well, it's now you could do a birthday we dinner and you're done playing, it's still a day but
1: i mean I, when yeah. i was it was still four hours i mean <laughs> hours. like it wasn't a, a math crunchy game like i was like by the time they played with me it was probably i think it was in the in-between phase of D next <laughs> sure um but uh <laughs> <laughs> which baby wasn't helpful for them but uh like it I think, was still very accessible. But I think being able to show a video, right, like, look at these people playing this game. Here's an example of them playing. Look Look, how much fun they're having Mm -hmm. um, is easier for me.
4: Mac, if you wanted to say
1: something.
5: Oh, I was just going to say it's it's also interesting because um, you've got all these groups of friends that are getting together and playing games. But you also have a lot of these games are being streamed now. Mm -hmm. So it's making it a lot of times those viewers feel like, oh, I'm not alone, almost feel like these are my friends because they're getting to see people that they can relate to uh, via like Twitch and things like that and it's made it so accessible and there's so many game systems out there as well. Yeah. I mean, we talk mostly about D&D, but, but having, there's so many. You know, powered by the apocalypse and, you know, <laughs> just system upon system upon system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there's a little something for everybody now.
4: Right. I also think it's it's... You were talking about the perfect storm concept, and I think, yes, it's technology and timing and all that, but it also... Maybe now is the time that all the fantasy that you had to fight really hard to get... to exist in and all that, because it was a little bit more rare. Now there's enough of it that there's a deep pool to draw from so if you want to get someone into Dungeons and Dragons you can be like you can be like Legolas and that actually means something to them because they saw that concept right. or you like you can just draw from the, the Chronicles of Narnia is being made into movie series like that's mm-hmm. a big deal and before they were just these books that maybe your parents read to you, um, so I think there's a, a wide depth to be able to pull from now, and that kind of compounds into more and more and more fantasy.
3: So the question is: Is this a trend? Is there a threat of exhaustion with over, with, with so much of it? Do at what point do competing systems, like Max said, like Max said, start to cannibalize each other when one becomes dominant and? These other smaller games maybe don't, don't get the same attention or don't get the same exposure. Is there a threat that this will become oversaturated? Mm, I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it'll ever get to that point because
6: it's, everybody's going to have their own personal tastes and everybody's going to want to play something slightly different. Maybe d and not your
3: thing. You Are know? we outracing overpopulation? You know? Like I mean, as long as, as we just make, make more people, people we make more fans? Yeah, exactly. With the amount of people we have on this planet, I'm sure there's <laughs> enough games for everybody. Um,
6: but it's it, there's always going to be different games. You could either you could be into Vampire, you could be into d d you could be into Shadowrun, you could be into, I don't know, Cult, or whatever you want to play. But um, it's it's I think there's no... No one who likes playing tabletop RPGs ever gets bored of tabletop RPGs. No, you know, it, I, I, at least i 've never experienced that.
3: what about the media what about uh, yeah. What about fantasy films? I, what about fantasy television? Is there a yeah, point where I, like it 's like I loved Game of Thrones, but then I watched season eight and i 'm a little less excited right. for, the, for for the spin off series right. or oh they 're making three new uh, Game of Thrones series. Is, I mean, I when we see uh, a sequel do badly at the box office, it always affects that yeah. next movie. Mm-hmm. It always affects – it erodes yeah. that, that brand. The spinoffs that are going to come out of Game of Thrones have been announced. Right. They're in production. Does mm-hmm. season eight, season seven, season eight, season eight, does it affect those? Does it, uh, does it, does right. it start to – re- yeah. at what point does, do these things start to recede?
6: I hope not because I want to keep working.
4: Yeah. <laughs> 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 I think – not to be pessimistic, I do think it will, the The trend will break, just, but it will still exist. Obviously, but is fantasy. it a trend? I think kind of, yes, at least specifically with tabletop RPGs. I, I mean, obviously, they've been around, they're going to stay around, but I think right now we're in this it was the it's, the D cool five to be e. right yeah now. the D and D five e book was on Amazon as a bestseller for I think six months in a row it was like insane and it was selling a ton that's not going to probably happen again until maybe sixth edition who knows if that ever happens um, right but I think there where the bubble has to pop at some point but that doesn't mean that it will pop and there will be nothing left I think it will be
3: a pop and we'll kind of go we'll just plateau we'll stay yeah them. yeah yeah yeah, the yeah, yeah yeah but tabletop dig- gamers are like the most hardcore <laughs> <of> fantasy fans. <laughs> but but, you're but talking about the, if I'm talking about your aunts and uncles who were like, I watched that Game of Thrones... Tight. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. my answer. Yeah, yeah, around that, with dragons. Um, exactly no. That'll keep happening for I, a
6: while. Yeah, I think there is yeah. going to be some level of fatigue as far as fantasy things go in media, in movies and television and what and whatnot, just because people are there's so much of it right now and people are as as the same thing happened with zombie films. Mm-hmm. There was so much zombie media for so long, and The Walking Dead's kind of the last bastion of like zombie <laughs> and that's going <laughs> right now. So that's has a possibility of happening with fantasy and things like that. But yeah, I don't th- it'll never go away. There are still zombie films. There are still things like that. And everybody all is going to always love that stuff. But I think the media sensation that is these things will mellow out eventually. It's just cyclical,
1: I think.
5: Yeah, It's going to be interesting to see, though, because unlike zombies where it's a very niche thing within horror, which is its own you know, focus, there's right. so many options for fantasy and sci-fi and so many That's places true. for it to go that... Certain subsects, I think, of fantasy and sci-fi might get burnout and get fatigue, but there's always going to be the next one. Not on, like yeah. horror, where or, this, yeah, the, there's always the next thing. Zombies right, are right, burned out right. right now, so we've moved to you know vampires other are cool things, five years you know, ago. or it's like vampires, yeah. or um, you know uh, slashers, or right. there's there's always another. Sub-genre. Avenue you can go down within that the genre.
3: Zom- the zombie always seemed to duck and weave with societal turns, <laughs> yes. and in the movies, <laughs> yeah. yeah, in the movies. But um, I'm done. <laughs> <But no, laughs> I think. <laughs> oh God.
6: Honestly, before <laughs> fantasy burns out, I think we're gonna have superhero burnout before fantasy. Oh, burns out. it's
3: already. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think we. I think they. I think that they have to start diversifying their product. Pretty. I mean, yeah. Yeah, if yeah. We're gonna.
6: I, if I. Yeah. Like I'm already like. I mean, it's cool, but I'm done. <laughs>
3: but from yeah. the outside looking in, at fantasy is is fantasy diversified? I want to ask you guys. What was your first taste? I talked about mm-hmm. uh, my father giving me The Hobbit mm-hmm. as my beginnings for getting into fantasy, and obviously that spinner rack at the at the uh, at the grocery store, getting right. into comic books, and getting into those Elf quests and things like that. That when you start getting mm. tired of superheroes, you're like, oh wait, I want to go into the indies, and you start yeah. discovering things like that. Yeah. Um, what were your kind of oh this is a this is a thing for me? This speaks to me, Mac. What what was it for you?
5: Well. I I guess it depends on your point of view as to whether or not you consider horror part of the fantasy genre. Some people like to classify it as over there. Tim Um, Curry (laughs) and Legend.
3: Yeah, Tim Curry and Legend was still the devil and he was scary, but it was definitely a fantasy film. But
5: uh, I grew up in a a household that where my mother loved horror, and so I grew up on the Universal monsters. So that really was my first love, my first real uh, taste of that realm of, of fantasy, and especially like the. The Wolfman has been my favorite film for since I've seen it mm. <laughs> when I was a kid and so I've really kept that love and uh, it's just only grown and expanded and incorporated more things as I've gotten older, sort of like the blob rolling through a theater eating people.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Has anyone seen The Tenth Kingdom? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I yes, just realized, yes, 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 yes. like, I think my sexuality is based on that. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, that that heavily influenced my love of fantasy because it was this modern take with this dog and this witch and all that what stuff. What is so. your
6: sexuality? Uh, I no, no, like
4: okay. Dog-seeming <laughs> yeah. men. Like, any man that's kind of like a dog, I'm like, Tenth Kingdom. Yeah, we'll be um, hot in that yeah. movie, all yeah. right? Um, that's fair, that's fair. So... I think The Tenth Kingdom was my first taste of fantasy. I would always be sick, and that would be... I wouldn't always be sick. Whenever I was sick, <laughs> I, was I would put sick. that on and just watch like the seven-hour
3: Hallmark. What was that show? I, I'm, I, I'm, too, I'm, a, it's, I'm older than that. Than that. Okay, I don't, who remember, knows I don't what even what know
4: it. what The Tenth Kingdom was? What yeah. yeah, well. was it? ABC Family.
5: ABC It was serialized. It was broken yeah. down in a
4: But it felt like a whole movie. the like tenth a seven-hour movie.
3: If yeah. <laughs> you were sick. Check out the tenth kingdom. But, but uh, and, and the thing is, like, how important is it that your friends were into it? Were, were, were I didn't your friends care. No. okay? Were your friends into the tenth kingdom? Were your friends into no! it? Back? Were what? Your friends, <laughs> no. What? friends... Was our place I, for this? I literally two weeks ago.
4: I'm not going to say what. We were hanging out, and um, I was like, you guys want to watch the Tenth Kingdom? You guys can fill in the blanks. And um, they were like, sure. And then by the end of it, like an hour, in they were like, this is
3: the best thing ever. And I was like, yeah,
4: you just aren't exposed to, like, the fantasy yeah. of it.
3: Thank you for telling me about Tenth Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone go watch the Tenth Kingdom. I,
5: mean, I think it's actually streaming online right now, just yes. FYI. Uh, I mean, I have the Blu-ray. I don't need to stream it.
4: Movie nights Seven-hour movie night. Seven hour movie night.
5: Uh, well, like I said, I was
1: very lucky. My dad played D&D all through high school and college, and so he immediately, when I was six years old, he would run games for my brother and I wow. um, at home. And it was never something that I did with my friends, so like I said, it was always just something I did at home. And we also moved a lot when I was growing up, so I wasn't, like I wasn't, I was used to always having to reintroduce ideas to the people I was talking to. Sure. Right, I was constantly meeting new New people, totally different culture and interests.
3: I find that prevalent in actors as well. That that you moved around a lot and had to. I mean, there are a lot of actors who say that that was the be- the beginnings of their acting. Were how much they moved around and had to reintroduce themselves mm-hmm. to yeah. a new uh, social network, you know, uh, in person. <laughs> and I'm sure that D and D probably helped too.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I wanted apparently I wanted to be an actress since so I was could talk, mm-hmm. and so I think for my dad it was immediately. You know, he knew, oh, you want to be another person right now? Let us play D&D. Let you, you know, crawl around this dungeon. And, you know. <laughs> You're still crawling at the time. Do- <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. Well, all the time. I'm crawling around all the always, time. <laughs> always, always. I, I still remember my first death. Whoa.
3: How traumatic was that?
1: It was traumatic and it was all my brother's fault. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right? uh, not so have ever gotten ever. over not it, not over <laughs> So you've forgiven him. No. Right, clearly.
1: <laughs> he was like a warrior cleric. He should have been in front. I was playing a... Ro- anyway, it was a displacer beast and it was terrible and I Just was be very that, upset.
3: I have this image of you as a child with a uh, baby rattle that's also a D20. <laughs> <laughs> and no, if is making those wait, for their kids... I'm going to make that. Don't say that okay. anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. No, yeah. A baby rattle that's no. also a D20. Uh-huh.
1: But yeah, I grew up so my parents are nerds. I would, you know, practice piano with a Jean Luc Picard cut out on the side. You know, like i always watching. It's French, me. by the way. Uh, um,
3: <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, joining us on the panel, uh, Jen. Awesome, seeing you. Uh, Jen Kretschmer, she's a TV producer, writer, currently adapting Lights, Skin and Earth. You guys are Lights fans. Uh, for TV, she's an actress, actor, uh, and a DM player on a bunch of tabletop shows. So, Google Jen Kretschmer and just see all the stuff, that, all the content. Uh, and she's been playing for almost 20 years and DMing for about 15. So, welcome, Jen. How are oh, you? I'm so um Jen, before I throw it to Alex there on the end, um tell me like what was your first entry into fantasy? What was the thing that you were like, this is for me, this is my world, whether it's T V, film, or tabletop.
2: Yeah, my my three most formative books as a kid were The Phantom Tollbooth, Erwin uh-huh. Glenn Time and Matilda. So mm-hmm. it was it like was that. fantasy right off the bat for me. It was it was love at first read and I was an <laughs> avid reader. Um I think I was probably five or six when I read those, maybe even younger. And so the, this idea that there could be these other worlds, these possibilities, um, always fascinated me. And, and Matilda was the first time I felt like I saw a character like me in a book. Because, you know, I have telekinetic powers and all that. <laughs> um, but no, to see, um, uh, to see a smart Character who didn't quite fit in, um, who loved to read—that was that was a joy for me, and that was an immediate connection. And Meg Murray was the same thing. It was this kind of awkward, bright um, female character, and that that wasn't common. And so those those immediately grabbed me, um, and and to this day, I think those are are influential on everything i do and phantom tollbooth gave me a love of wordplay and and the idea at the i'm going to spoil phantom tollbooth so if you haven't read it cover your ears but um, the idea that 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 a quest wasn't impossible until someone told you it was impossible um just immediately made me you know drop everything and go that's an amazing idea i love that going with it
3: you ever heard of the tenth kingdom <laughs> we we went off on the tenth kingdom like a little dogs? earlier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you like dogs in the tenth kingdom, uh, Alex? What would you say uh, is your first hit? I, there were t- yeah. Into the microphone, please, sir. Please, sir. You're leaning back like you're two DMing.
6: Um, <laughs> there are two events in my life that really solidified my love of fantasy, and one of them is very much like yours. When I was sick, I would have my mother rent me Legend all the time, Ooh, and I watched yeah. Legend over and over and over. And um, but the first thing was um, when I was a, I, I loved Edward Scissorhands, which is very much a fantasy movie.
0: Yeah.
6: Um, in a very suburban type way, but I felt very much like him in the town that I grew up in because I've looked like this my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> and um, not joking, I have pictures of me as a baby in black leggings and a black turtleneck, um, Whoa. and a leather jacket. And um, <laughs> But I lived in a very suburban... I lived in Sonoma, California, which is the wine country, which is very much a yuppie town. And I <laughs> felt very much like that Edward Scissorhands walking down that street of colorful houses. So that movie was very important to me, and that was something that introduced me to the concept of fantasy. Uh, but really, the formative point, as far as loving like fantasy, like dragons and knights and blah, 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 was being in, on vacation with my family when I was young in Hawaii. We had gone... Some reason took me to Hawaii, and um, which is not the place I'm supposed to be. And I w- didn't want to go to the beach because the beach has the sun, which is not <laughs> why so I much exist. So much So much. So I went to a bookstore that was on the beach. There was like this little shopping center near the beach uh, in Maui, and they had a bookstore. And I bought the player's handbook. The Dungeon Master's Guide and the Monster Manual. And I sat in my hotel room and I read all of those books. <laughs> I believe it was third edition when I bought them. And it was that was what I that was like, oh my god, there are all these things and I want to play this game. And then I didn't play until I was like twenty-five. Whoa! Because nobody wanted to play. Yeah. Like, nobody would sit yeah, down and play the game. I played Vampire the Masquerade before I played Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Like it was just like it was no one wanted to play that game and then I finally found people that were like, You want to play D? And I was like, Fucking yes, I wanted to play D yeah. for like fifteen years.
3: <laughs> Well, um, that leads to my next question. And I want to ask you guys, once you did have that first entry and you were like, this is for me, how hard was it to find like-minded people? Because I had two people down the street and we played D and D, but that was it. And, Mm -hmm. and introducing other people to D and D just was, it just wasn't going to happen growing up in a football, like high school, massive football high school. And, uh, they just weren't going to be into D and D, uh, I tried introducing them through uh t s r also published a marvel uh superheroes role playing game. Right. There was a really great one that I remember uh called Toon where you could just basically be in a Chuck Avery like oh, cartoon nice. you could awesome. be in a looney Tunes cartoon mm-hmm. and you could make giant mallets and things like that and hit each other but it just there weren't there just wasn't enough people. Around to, to get into it, uh, so books like Jen, like books were basically the refuge. And you just right. read through all the Dragonlance novels, yep. you read through all the uh, the the Wheel of Time novels, and then once you're done, you've nobody to talk to about that. How hard was it after you're done? Was that? So you just cry after you, you just cry. You you're laughs. like, oh, I just read this amazing thing, and nobody is here to talk yeah. to <laughs> about it. Um, how wh- wh- that was the 80s, early 90s. What was it like for you all to get super excited about something and then? Nada, <laughs>
6: and then disappointed.
4: My my fantasy outlet was through video games. Uh, so I had online friends that liked like video that liked fantasy and things like that. I played Majesty, the Fantasy Kingdom Sim, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like, so I didn't. I would go to school and be the cool swimmer jock, but then I'd go home and be the nerdy fantasy guy. But so I didn't really have. I
3: didn't have a problem with that. Sorry, Jonathan. No, my I, life I, I, is perfect. I think it's the, guys. I think it's the result I I of being can. the oldest person on the panel. And obviously, the internet opened the doors for this stuff because if I wanted to play video games with my friends back in the BBS era, I was basically stuck playing Drug Wars. Like, like that was it. If anybody's old enough to remember that game, <laughs> you had a lo- You had to dial up the BBS, log in, take your turn, sell high, buy low, and then log off. And that was you playing a game, and there were fantasy games like that. Uh, I think the, I think honestly, the Sierra games were mm-hmm. my big entry uh, to video games. Were, were the Lucas games like Loom and those Monkey Island and those games? But that Monkey obviously Island. the King's Quest games and the, the Heroes Quest games were in video games. That for me, and, uh, Dragon Warrior and the Legend of Zelda on the original uh, NES were
6: huge for me. My um, I had two kind of outlets. I had one. Stealthy way of Talking to my friends About (laughs) D&D Because there was a game Which I'm sure Anybody who knows About D&D Knows this game There were Well two games There was the Boulder's Gate games Mm -hmm. Which a bunch of kids In my age group Played but had no idea it was in D&D right. they just so thought it was like a fantasy like video game and they played it and they were like this and this and I'm like oh yeah let's talk about this this is how I can talk about D&D yeah. to people because you know this you game yeah. I was like what armor what is this what's your armor class and they're like this and, I'm, and I never told them that it was <laughs> D&D yeah. I just continued to talk to them about this video game yeah. so that was really the only way I could <laughs> get my D&D stuff out and I'm like I know all this stuff and they're like how do you have such a breadth of knowledge about the <laughs> they didn't use those terms how do you know so much and I was just like well you know I played the game a lot you know I, I haven't read all of the books <laughs> but um, also I there was a in my high school there was a hey when you're in English class, class if you want to get extra credit you can read will give you points for reading so I read every D&D novel ever and then I turned in all the pages and they were like you read like 14,000 pages oh I guess I'm giving you credit for all these I'm like yeah I have a 250% in class now (laughs) I did none of the other homework and just read and I passed the class with an A (laughs)
2: No, I I definitely fell fell into the not having a ton of friends for a while that were were into the fantasy stuff. I didn't start D&D until I was um, a senior in high school, and that was I had friends who played, and they are the ones who brought me in. Um, But uh, in terms of the fantasy books, a lot of it, I don't think, until around sixth grade when my entire grade, including the teachers, became obsessed with the Sword of Truth series, which looking back thoughts but at the time it it blew my mind i mean i remember my mom letting me stay home to read wizard's first rule because she knew i wouldn't put it down until i was done um and that if i went to school i was just going to keep reading um so she let me stay home to, to finish it so i would actually get some sleep after um but that was the first time that i felt like we all had this thing we could talk about that was fantasy and was cool um
3: and Harry Potter would be... I and then Harry Potter in, in high school, school yeah, yeah. Harry when Harry Potter started. Was big deal. No one talks about
2: Harry Potter. Fun fact, I actually read a first edition British Harry Potter that was signed when I first read it because I was babysitting for a family that was... Did you steal it? <laughs> I, nobody had any idea at that point Dang, what, what it was going to be, and then it was eaten by the dog.
3: Oh. Oh. I was about to say, I was like, Jen, are you done with that novel? We have to lie in the bird cage." Three, w- <laughs>
2: was like, three weeks later, the dog ate the book.
3: How valuable is that dog right now?
2: So, uh, well, probably. more
3: valuable to Kristoff.
2: Not anymore. Yeah.
4: I don't want you guys to think I'm into dogs. Let me just
0: nip that into butter real quick. I'm
4: Men seeming like dogs. There's a difference. It's a very specific. A specific.
6: He
5: he was a wolf, all right. Yeah, so it's, it's like, like a werewolf. Wolf vibe, there's like a know? different line there. We can get into it later. You See can. me after the panel. <laughs>
6: there's a whole <laughs> subgroup.
3: There's Speaking meetings. Of werewolf fans.
5: Yeah. So I got really lucky because I had a bunch of like the weird theater kids. Huh. So we all had different interests, but we all were interested in each other's interests. So we shared everything around and. uh yeah fantasy was our communicable disease, I guess, uh but we just really got along and and really had our own yeah i know well i I say things, and I think that of myself a lot um, but it was one of those things where it was a very safe sort of tight community, but it was also a lot of um we had a lot of military kids at my school, so we had a lot of kids that traveled around a lot were looking for you know, something that they could latch onto and take with them, and fantasy is one of those things like we discussed earlier in the panel. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I got very lucky.
3: And Josephine, beyond your brother and your father, was there a pretty conducive environment to celebrating this stuff on a, on a wider level with friends?
1: Mm, uh, not until I was older, like I said. I, I People knew I was into it, but I was very much someone, I think because of moving a lot that just I would just float into whatever circles you know I, I wasn't like only ever with the theater kids I'd be with the theater kids with the jocks with the people in band it didn't matter um because I was used to just adapting to wherever I had moved to so I just wouldn't talk to them about those things <laughs> you know I would just cater what I was into yeah. right like in this conversation I mean I would bring it up every now and then but people would I didn't get a response to it until, um, like, college Mm -hmm. is when I started seeing people more receptive to the idea of D&D.
3: One thing that I remember uh, and I want to talk about is, again, I, I like to think of 20 years ago as... These things started to go on the big screen. And I know uh, Jennifer and I talked in the car before this, yes. and she was saying, I think Buffy brought it to a lot Ooh, of people early on the, the, the fantasy uh, <laughs> that you're watching. Oh, it. We, you're watching Fantasy Weekly at this point, and obviously there was Hercules and Xena and things yeah. like that. But... Um, Let's talk about this. The reception for people getting into this stuff. Um, comic books, again, like I said, used to have posters in the windows. There were the people were playing Warhammer in the back, and it was oh, almost like a so private Warhammer. It, it's almost like a private club. At what point did the private club start breaking up? Because if you didn't have friends in your high school that were into this stuff, you did have to go to the comic book stores and the hobby shops to get into this, into network and find people to play with. But it was a pretty male yeah. like yeah. dominated mm-hmm. thing for a long time and honestly guys it wasn't until about 15 plus years ago that i looked up and said wow th- whatever that was it totally is broken apart mm-hmm. And women are started to get, starting to get into the Comic-Con and starting to get into the gaming and starting to get into the tabletop and the fantasy. Looking and into the room say, right yes, now, there's yeah. a
4: pretty much even 50-50 split, which is awesome. Which Maybe is rad. not. Yeah. Well, what are you, well, I,
2: I, what I, were the mean, things that wanna, tore that wall down? I challenge you on yeah, that a little bit it, because please. there were women working at TSR. Dragonlance was written and created by women. Margaret
3: Weiss and of course. Mm-hmm. I, so, I read every so, novel.
2: So women have been driving fantasy and science fiction from the very beginning. It's just that it was... Uh, not necessarily spoken about as openly, people wrote under pseudonyms um, yeah. or a lot of the time we didn 't talk it. about it because it wasn 't seen as something that was feminine or appropriate for us to be interested in or, or mm-hmm. doing as a hobby
3: but Jen, what were those big things that broke those clubs, mean, clubs apart were yeah, okay
2: Harry Potter was a huge one you know these these are are either female focused or female driven um, or, or female created um, series, and they you know I think women women have been driving that, um, but it took a while for people to kind of take that to divest that and go, these are really cool stories um, you know i think buffy was a huge one in terms of breaking down barriers with comic con if you look at the numbers starting the year that the buffy cast came to comic con it more than tripled um and it continued to double i think every year after that until it reached sort of the size that it is now so that was a huge a huge shattering of those um those barriers and and those doors yeah i mean i think it's still
1: those barriers are still there. Yeah. And and they, no, we're good. Yeah. Everything's good.
6: <laughs> <laughs> we're, good. <laughs> we're done. Yeah, we, we broke holes through them, but there are still the honeycomb
3: wall. Yeah, up in front was, of us. What would those Absolutely. barriers be, uh, Josephine? Like the, the barriers to acceptance? Oof. Wait. Hold on. <laughs> I, th- I think. <laughs> Can we like, have another like, 30 minutes on the panel? <laughs>
1: How to get rid of those or what we're
3: still well, well, encountering? What are they and what do you think are some of the things that, like, let's say... I mean, th- I'm
1: still worried about talking on voice chat and video games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not Absolutely. worried. Like, I will still do it, but I still encounter... That's toxic as hell. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I started <laughs> in StarCraft 2 and I immediately turned off all of my uh. <laughs> voice chat so quickly. I did um, the same thing in WoW. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I... I don't know. I think it's just it depends how you're raised. I was saying I wa- I grew up watching Miyazaki films, and mm-hmm. I would watch Princess Mononoke every single day yes. when I was like seven. Yeah, every day. It was it was a lot. It was excessive. <laughs> and all of his films have such powerful, uh, you know, women in them, and, and it's not it's not really pointed out, right? It's not mm-hmm. until you think about I didn't it after that. The fin- There's yeah. so but,
3: like, many leads. Yeah, and nausicaa was females. my first Miyazaki. great, and I couldn't believe what I was watching.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um, but for me, I was always like, no, I'm just going to say what I th- You know, I will, I, I deserve a space here. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have combative responses, and I still get them. Um, but it has lessened a lot. Like from me playing StarCraft to me playing Overwatch, I will say it has gotten a lot better. I'm not sure what necessarily caused that.
3: Well, uh, If any of you have questions, please raise your hands, but I'd like to see think that maybe there's people in the audience who would want those kind of approaches to meeting that kind of uh, resistance. If there are people in the audience who've oh, met, sure. had that online, or if there's just any general questions for any of our panelists, I think we have a few minutes left, and this is the time to open we it have up questions five minutes left. for anybody. That was
4: my favorite. The like, very on-the-point, like
3: 12, 12.45, five minutes. Yeah. Okay, I love it. That's great. <laughs> yeah, we, we're good, guys? Where are we at? We got five minutes. Five minutes. Yeah. Uh, are there any questions, really, from the audience that for any of these talented panelists? I'm very ready for your questions. We got one over here on the right. Please repeat the question if it's directed to you. Well, I'll admit it. My first real, oh my God, like, my first, like, moment as a kid with a burgeoning sexuality was a frank had poster in a gaming store like that's just like i was like oh my god that's beautiful <laughs> and but it was the sexualization of a female form and that is that was prevalent for a long time and still prevalent in a lot of these fantasy Things Even if you give her a sword, she's still in a bikini. Like, how is... I mean, is that stuff starting to erode? Is that stuff starting to be... I, I think it's starting to erode. Yeah.
6: I mean, it's not gone, obviously.
3: Right. But
6: it's... Yeah. it's. I mean, and hopefully it's starting to... I mean, there is... There's nothing wrong with somebody being sexy, but objectifying somebody and having this art be... That is their only purpose. Yeah.
3: Is not good the example given to us by the by the audience member was uh with the outcry about starfire's depiction right. in the comics recently uh it was a couple of years ago yeah i no, i remember yeah.
2: that yeah. so no one wants to read a story where their analog is a prop yeah mm-hmm. you want to read a story where you, you're you're doing something where you're a hero where you have uh, Struggles and you're flawed and you're overcoming challenges and, you know, there's development and growth and you, you go through an arc. I mean, that, that's storytelling 101, but so often, historically, women in stories have been props. There's the, the sexy lamp test. I was test. just about to mention the sexy, the pe- sexy lamp test. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, if, if your woman can be replaced by a sexy lamp with a post-it on it, you're a hack. That's, yeah. that's ah. the sexy <laughs> lamp <laughs> test. Yeah. Um, and it's astonishing how many things fail the sexy lamp test. Mm-hmm. Um, so So really... Um, I think that that's that's the question. You can have sexy characters, absolutely, um, and and sexual characters, but
6: they also need to do something. They have to
2: do something.
5: <laughs> they have to own it for themselves, mm-hmm. and right. it's about the the fantasy of being able to own that for yourself, yes. and that's really where the difference is.
6: Right, which is very much becoming more prevalent, which is great, but it's not at the point where it's not a thing. You know, the other the other part of it is still a, very much a thing that is going away, but hasn't gone away,
3: which is what people are working towards. Well, I would like to call on female Loki uh, on <laughs> uh, your question. In oh, okay. Did social media help or hurt the inclusiveness in uh, fantasy sci-fi? Social media is complicated. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Oh,
0: man. It can't.
6: In in I think in an idealized way, in an idealized world, social media can be great and can really help these situations. But I think more often than not, social media causes harm than it does. I good. Hmm. disagree,
4: hmm. respectfully. I think
6: um, it's you incredible. don't need to do it
4: respectfully. I don't like you.
6: No. Okay. <laughs> there
4: we go. That's what um, I was looking for. Uh, I think yes, social media can be completely toxic and damaging. But I have conversations with Jen on Twitter and and. People who I would never normally talk to just because I don't have access to their to, ex, yeah. It's all about exposure. exposure. Like, if you want to change minds, you have to expose them to stuff, and that takes yeah. time, yeah. and it's frustrating because you might have the correct answer, and you just want this person to know that, but it takes time, and you just have to show it
2: over and right. over and again. It took me time, and and I learned through a lot of the people I've, I've been in touch with in social media um, in terms of an intersectional approach mm-hmm. to changing media and, and the industry. I, I needed to know where those gaps were mm-hmm. or at least the ones that I'm aware of and start actively following people from communities that I'm not a part of or I wasn't aware of mm-hmm. or I didn't you know, know much about. I have to start changing my own mind actively mm-hmm. and, and opening myself up to that. And social media has been amazing for that. And it's allowed me to, in my own creative work, Start to open up to, to to characters that I might not have thought about putting into those worlds, or or right. you know, th- th- my instinct is you know I my default has changed because of of the communities I've talked to on social media, um, and and I think that's been great. But yeah, it's it sucks when people are.
1: Yeah, super gross. Yeah, people are more vocal for for worse, but also for better. You mm-hmm. know, both Agreed. ways yeah, they you know, will know. like just earlier today I was talking you know there are comments and there are people jumping in to defend that you know and there's like conversations happening back and forth and and that wouldn't have just happened without you know such an open platform Mm -hmm. for people to be able to have that discourse and
4: it's usually someone making a big mistake on social media that triggers some really helpful conversations yes so yeah. watch what you tweet, people. Watch what you tweet. <laughs> but also own
2: it if you make a mistake. Like, don't, yeah. don't double down on it. If, you, if you've made yeah. a mistake and someone says, hey, you screwed up, think about it. Make an active apology where you're making those changes and own it and do better in the future. And that's the only way to, to, to do it.
6: Yeah, you're much more likely if you own your mistake be like, hey, I messed up. I was wrong. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah.
2: And thank and, you and for teaching me. Thank you for me.
6: letting me know. Yeah. Then you just move on with your life. You well, don't have to ha- cause this giant like. No, I'm like I stand by the m- huge mistake I just made. And you're like, Wait, why? Why? Where's are you, your? Political, why are you on this hill? Why where's you your
3: political to... career without yeah. denial? I you gotta think. come on, man. You'll never be president, Alex. Uh, I don't want to we'll, be president. We'll, the world we'll, would be way worse. We have a question in the in the back, man. Yes. So, uh, Never-ending <laughs> stories of
5: great uh, first fantasy experience. Bride, oh, so
3: In the story, for me, it was about a kid being pulled into this world to battle the nothing. Right. And one of the steps in fantasy where we do work outside of the box, the traditional storytelling boxes, and taking things like the depiction of females from a prize, a victim, to the hero. And I think that extends beyond just straight uh, depictions of characters. Mm-hmm. You know, at what point are we going to start getting these other characters? We already have in a lot of ways. Yeah, so.
2: more women writing fantasy. Sure, having authors and in in your everyday life too. Being around women, and if they're not having conversations that are probably making you uncomfortable, they probably don't feel safe being open around you. I mean, and that's the truth with any marginalized community mm-hmm. or minority community. Um, so, getting to know women as people, because I know it's shocking, but we are. Um, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I know, I know. Sorry, my social media is about to explode. <laughs> <laughs> Jen said women are people. Um, but, but yeah, starting to realize how multi-dimensional people can be and, and putting that into the characters um, and letting people be flawed. So, so a lot of what you're describing... They don't pass the sexy lamp test. It is, mm. if, if they can convey the information with the post-it and they are a prop to be won or traded off or, you know, um, defended, there's, there's no autonomy there, and there's no agency. So p- giving that back.
3: And if a hero's not flawed, I don't, I don't like watching them anyway. Yeah. I, there's one-note hero, will, no matter what they are. If yeah. they're not a flawed hero and they don't have to overcome something internalized, then I'm not interested. Yeah. What do you think?
5: It's really about having the diversity in, in storytelling. It's really, really important. But I also want to remind people that it's okay to have women that are villains or mm-hmm. they're yeah. you know in some of those traditional roles so long as there's more breadth to them because there should be men that are also in those roles. There should be – I mean, anybody should be in those various roles. We need all of that right. in storytelling. And so I think um, – you know, I love female villains. I think they're amazing, but I don't care about them if they're just one note. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, there, there's not just that three dimensional thing, but her
2: purpose is to be that gate. Right. So, what yeah, about I,
3: a, a female villain that's designed only to impede a male's path?
2: Well, I,
1: I, I think that's interesting. Like, I think that as long as you have a divert like, not all. Portrayals of villains, of female villains, are in that one sense. As long as you have a range, I mean, because whatever there might be,
3: we gotta go. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> cell phone, going up. yeah.
1: You know that could exist. I don't know. they you know villains are evil. Maybe that is her thought process. But as long as that is not what all female villains are I, portrayed right, to be, and, and like not all you know, fem- the things are, are completely varied, and that's not what people think of first.
4: I think that if you switch that and you said uh, the male villain is his sole purpose is to block the male hero. That's bad villain writing. There, there should be a, a better reason yeah. for a villain to right. want to stop a hero than just to stop the and hero. And they're not
3: villains. Villains, villains are, are heroes they're they're villains. for themselves.
4: Yeah. I think, I
2: also am I think pro- the core of the question, though, is about women serving to further a man's story. Not having their own autonomy right. and not having their own yeah. stories, but sure. existing only to further the story if of a, a male character. If it's
3: a villainous, sexy lamppost. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it needs to have. I mean, re- they uh, usually get
2: better teeth yeah. and makeup, and it's, it's good times, but no. Um, but I, I, I think <laughs> what we need is more female protagonists um, or more uh, what, what we call in script writing two handers, mm-hmm. which is two characters that are the leads. Um, we need things like Frozen that give us. Are interesting complex relationships between women, um, but also supportive relationships between women, because often you'll get one of whatever category you're looking at um, and showing the, the plethora of, of different types of people that exist. We, we should tell men's stories too. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. But we've had, like, if you look at the numbers, the number of stories about women are so few compared to the number of stories about men. And and equalizing that a little bit is not a bad thing. Yeah,
1: and don't celebrate the ones that are bad portrayals. Just stop talking about them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all word of mouth. I mean, they may be awesome in your mind, but there's more stuff to come, and it'll get better if you don't just hold up the... Uh, dated and less than stellar portrayals on a pedestal.
6: Right, yet continuing to look at something that is problematic as being like, no, but it's great, doesn't help anybody. It's still problematic. It's still got things that need to. we need to change those things. Yeah, it was okay for the time period that it was in or wherever it was put out, whatever, but it's not
1: anymore. Newer, cooler stuff can come along. Yeah.
3: Um, so, in a way, the fantasy still has the same drawbacks and strengths as most Genre storytelling—it's just—it's—it's uh, a, it's a fantastic prism to what we're dealing with in our real worlds. Right. Um, okay, so I think we got to get Jan and everybody else to their next panel So I want you guys to run through your social media hey. handles. Unless you have something to run, no, to no, add no, Josephine. No. Oh, I was going to give we'll you guys shout-outs and definitely go downstairs and huff uh, Christoph's candles. Starting now at the end with Alex.
6: Uh, hi, everybody. Um, uh, you can find me on Twitter at um, Alex Ward 777 that's my Twitter handle, and my um, you can just find me on Instagram under Alexander Ward, but Twitter's the best place to follow me because I never post anything on Instagram. <laughs> I'm really bad at it. So Twitter's my social media place.
1: Uh, I am at JCVIM. It's impossible just to <laughs> remember. Um, <laughs> on all social media and then tomorrow I'm doing a panel uh, running a speed run of Tomb of Horrors first edition so uh, with Luke Gygax Gygax. DMing so please come hang out and watch that insanity
4: all of my social is at cantrip candles C-A-N-T-R-I-P candles Um, and stop by booth 1612 downstairs to smell them
5: You can find me wherever great social media is sold as at strange like that. I'm also doing a panel tomorrow at noon, and I don't remember where it is, but it's about
2: <laughs> the rise of um, the occult and mysticism in pol- pop
0: Ooh. culture. Cool. I'm a um, panel. I
2: am Jen Kretschmer. I am at DreamWisp on most social media, D-R-E-A-M-W-I-S-P, or if not that, Dreamwisp Jen. If you're on Twitch, Um, I'm on my way right now to go do a panel in 306AB about tabletop RPGs. So if you like to RPG, come on down. Or if you want to learn to RPG, come on down and ask questions. It'll be fun.
3: I'm Jonathan London, as I said at the top of the show, at Jonathan London on Twitter. You can search for Geekscape on any social media, and you'll find our little community. And, of course, you can subscribe to Geekscape on uh, any of your podcatchers. We'll put this uh, panel up on the feed as well, so you, if, you, if, you, if your friends couldn't make it, they can still hear it. All right, I want to thank LA Comic Con and all of you for being here and enjoying our panel. Thanks, guys. Right, thank and you, girls. You are
1: listening to the Geekscape Network.